0: All right, everybody, welcome back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. And today we have John Walker on the show. He is the IT director at H&M Bay, but you have a, a special talent as well. You deal with, not only are you a software dev guy, but you also deal with software development guys. So welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Yeah. And... I don't know this yet, but I'm asking you right now, and normally I talk about this first, but I never asked you last time, how did you get started in this uh, technology world uh, anyways to begin with? And or what was your first computer or experience with technology of any sort?
1: Uh, well, that's actually a good story. Um, I... All through high school, I was college prep, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. I wasn't really that enthralled with math. I, I just really didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. And um, the one thing I was good at, or thought I was good at, was was arguing with people, debating things, uh, using logic against other people. But
0: oh, I man, did I not. The only thing that
1: made the only thing that made sense for that was a lawyer, and I. They didn't. Know. Everyone talked terrible about lawyers back in the late seventies. They still do, but okay, I was really bad. Then. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and and then, on top of that, I, you know, I came from a fairly low-income family. The the the, uh, the prospects of borrowing all that money to become a lawyer just was really daunting. Mm-hmm. So I had really no idea. Um, and then my my father who had a uh, a fifth grade education. He had to quit to school to work on the farm uh, when his father came down with polio. And um, he read the Reader's Digest, which was a monthly thing that came out of like a, a, a almost a book, a, a magazine, but it was pretty thick. And he read yeah. it cover to cover every month. Mm-hmm. And in there, he read this article about software developers and how in 1979, when I was going to graduate high school, and this was in 78, that there were going to be two jobs for every programmer that came out and that it was going to be a high demand and these people were going to make tons of money. And, mm. and he's like, uh, you ever thought about that? And I'm like, no, never seen a computer. Don't know anything about any computers. <laughs> reader's no.
0: digest, man. I remember that being in the bathroom when I was a kid, to be honest with you. My, my mom always had that reader's digest
1: sitting on the back. My my dad read him book cover to cover. I mean, he he was at, at, he loved them. I mean, there was a bunch of and and I read some book? things that he gave me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little square magazine. Yeah. And um and so I was like I, I I just, you know, I didn't act on it. I just stuck that in my brain. I was like, oh, that was really weird." I read it and I'm like, mm. "Hey, uh, what the hell? We don't have any computers at school." Yeah. Well, when it came time to sign up for um, classes the next time, when I'm down looking at math classes, yeah. voila, computer programming. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> had class. This, is in high school. this
0: is in high school.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like in 1970, so, yeah, it, yeah well, it, it was 79, and so I sign up for this thing, not having any clue really what this was going to be all about. Uh. And so I sit in the class, and and this it was the most boring teacher i ever had in my life which i've had 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 her several times mrs dunning uh-huh. um her and her husband both <laughs> math teachers so boring so monotone but super <laughs> mathematicians i mean really were great at math i took them for trig and and uh-huh. and, and and some other classes algebra and and she started talking and she, this was the overhead projector days she throws of overhead projector projector up there showing this program and starts to talk about it and uh, i knew exactly what it was doing within minutes huh. i couldn't wait to, to write a program do you it remember was what it was like doing
0: that. like do you remember that like what was
1: do it? not i do not i do remember that there were 14 programs to write in the semester and i had them done in two weeks and she ran really? me out of the Out of the lab because he said, I know you keep taking all your study holes and coming here and I know you're really into this stuff, but we have so many people that are not being able to keep up and failing and you need to stop coming to the thing. And it was like heartbreaking when I had to quit going. Yeah. I couldn't go into lab unless no one else needed it. And I had to wait till like the last minute. And like, so if I had a study hall, I could go there during my, the break between classes and see if anyone was signed up. And if not, I could go in there, but otherwise I couldn't.
0: You know, that's, that's amazing. Let's just talk about that for a second, because, uh, from a leadership standpoint, uh, a lot of times leaders spend 80% of their time on the, bottom 80% of their people, right? And then they've got, and the people that really need, and then they just, you know, the, the star players. Well, let's like, see, hey. here's
1: what you miss. I, I, I hear where you're going with this, but yeah. I, I imagine you're younger than me, so you don't know that this. This, uh-huh. this was one, I'm going to call it a teletype. It was a, it was one computer in uh-huh. the back of her room in a closet. Uh-huh. They built a special room around it and it, and it was a freestanding computer that had a keyboard and it had paper. It did not have a monitor. It had paper. And when you typed a line of code and hit enter it typed out on the page you would say it was basic it was basic language and you would say list and it would list the whole thing and then you would have to retype the entire line if you made a change Uh it had a dupe key but you'd have to dupe, kind of like a card punch but it was printing on paper and it was stored in memory somewhere I don't know the computer that actually processed the the program when you ran it was in uh, University of Delaware uh, you know two hours away in, in, in Newark, Delaware. And I'm down in Seaford, Delaware.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and, uh, there was no, I couldn't hang out there and help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was yeah, yeah. no room. It was yeah, just yeah. a one person thing. It wasn't like a lab, like you would think of like, so, so, so anyhow, after that class, it was a closet. And then was, we went, I mean, it was mean, like it was an early
0: IT guy guy hiding in a closet. <laughs>
1: You got it exactly. So, but the 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 thing that was cool about it was my old man was the one that actually did it, and he never, to the day he died, he never typed on a computer, or used a computer. So, you know, but it was his doing that got me to to consider it.
0: Uh, that's awesome. And then, uh, okay, so I'm just curious. So we got to move on from here, but I I, I got to ask one more question. How do you remember your first? Kind of like real computer or purchasing a computer that, that um, it, what was that?
1: Well, yes, I do. I mean, as far as what I purchased, but I will say that after I went to Dell Tech after that, this technical college close by, and I was able to hands-on uh-huh. run a, uh, an IBM uh, 360 computer okay. which was a mini computer back in that day and then they got a 4331 the second year and because it was a small school basically you went right in the computer room and put your cards in a card deck or uh you know tore your paper off the printer so i got to use a real computer right away but after uh i guess it was my second job so i was in the mid 80s or early mid to early late 80s I bought a Commodore 64 or actually I was given one I won an award at Citibank for this system that I wrote and you got to pick a prize out of a book and I picked the Commodore 64 so that was the first one I ever owned
0: that's pretty cool and um what 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 did you write to win the prize like what was that all about
1: uh well, uh Citibank Delaware was a uh check processing s- center. So they the reason banking, they moved right?
0: it's always banking and it's money always, that okay. pushes
1: it, huh? Okay. <laughs> well ahead. they they um they moved to Delaware, number one, because Delaware, a lot of banks did because Delaware changed the laws in the eighties about credit cards. So they could charge, you know, 22% interest. I'm, 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 I'm saying 22. I don't know, but the laws were much more lenient on what they were allowed to do. So all of them moved to Delaware. Pretty much all banks made a presence in the Wilmington area. Newark's just a little bit south of that, which is close to Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Um, they moved to this particular spot because it was really very close to the Philadelphia Fed. So the whole reason for this processing center that was there was that they would have they had their own trucks sitting at the Philly Fed to get our checks and run them quickly back to the bank, and then they would scan them in and had people call the account owners to tell them how much money they owed us to cover their checks that they that came through for that day and that's pretty common in commercial banking or it used to be you know so n- no one kept the money you know you don't keep millions of dollars in a checking account if okay. you're a, a corporation they would move the money from where it was the least expensive for them to move it to cover their their expenses so if you could call them by noon that was great and we were calling them by 10 11 o'clock that was the main thing that was going on there. So the system that I wrote, I actually had gotten through a project and didn't have a lot going on. My boss got promoted and went to New York. We had no leadership. We had a, I had a guy in there that ran the CPCS equipment. So his big thing was programming these machines that sorted through the checks and collected the check data. Uh-huh. And he says, hey, these things, have a, these things can are putting out microfiche. And then we have these FISH readers here, and they supposedly can be hooked up to what was called CICS. That was the online environment in IBM mainframes. So between him and me and the manuals and a guy that was in systems programming back then, you had computer programmers. Then if you needed anything done from an engineering perspective, you had systems programmers that you would go talk to. And then you had operations, which ran all the programs. Uh-huh. You know, so this is a very complicated large group of people, but between the three of us and manuals, we came up with a system and it was in CICS where someone could go find this check, click on it. And it would tell the, they would tell them what role microfilm role to put on the machine on the microfish reader, microfilm reader. And then it would spin it to that check image so that they could quick, quick make a copy and send it or whatever the customer was asking them to do look for signature or whatever. So we just kind of did it on the side and when, and someone saw it and put it up for this, uh, service excellence award Uh and, uh, the two of us got it. And that was pretty cool. They took us up to New York to the main office and had a big to do and gave me my Commodore 64.
0: (laughs) That's cool. So, but ultimately like what you did there was shave off hours of time. My my understanding yes, Yeah, because
1: otherwise people, were, yeah, they had to actually scan through the microfiche and stop and see what frame it was on. The machine didn't even have a way to say, like, go to this spot. Mm-hmm. They would run it and stop and ahead. I mean, like you see people do when they, wow. well, used to do in, like, libraries where the stuff yeah. was on microfiche. So this would just go straight to it. All they had to do is hit the print button and print out a copy. And it's just the time and productivity. They, they were impressed.
0: I mean, there's so much. There's so much data around time and productivity that we could track. I'm just wondering how uh, how we got anything done. Sometimes back in the day, even when you used to have to like, literally like get on a horse to deliver a letter like two days away or something like that. Um, so uh, amazing. So again, this the theme there just being again technology and software development and and gen in general. I'm always talking about IT guys trying to create more efficiencies, more productivity because it makes a big difference to the bottom line. Um, and when we were talking the other day, you said, well, I hear a lot these days about IT guys having to be the creative business leaders, and I don't agree with that. Uh, but ironically, you seem to be the king of that and, and you seem to be a person that actually uh, makes a f- fairly big difference from, from what I can tell in uh, all the places that you've gone in your history of making a pretty big difference in the bottom line.
1: Well yeah you you took you got me a, a bit wrong on that statement. What <laughs> I was saying is is that you know I read a lot and I, you know my job is not here now is not just application development. I run an infrastructure team. The entire IT is on my on my shoulders. So I right. read a lot and can keep abreast of all areas IT. And one of the big things that that everyone's talking about is that as to be a good IT leader, you need to be thinking about how you can generate revenue and not, mm-hmm. not how you can cut costs, but how you can generate revenue. It's huge. I mean, it's written. Mm-hmm. You, I read it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's in, in, and, and depending on what kind of, you know, business you're in and how big your company is, that may very, very well be true. Uh But in the case of this company that I work for, it's really not, uh, you know, we, and we got into that discussion because you, we were talking about the project that I'm on now, which is actually going to be, you know, generating a substantial amount of revenue per month where we're, we're, Basically leasing our software, a version of the software that we use uh, for the warehouse management piece mm-hmm. for another company that's going to pay us on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. But that kind of fell into my lap. Uh, here, the main goal for me is just to make the company more efficient and and less create less errors and basically save money.
0: Well, as they say... The harder I work, the luckier I get, and I don't believe in luck. So, um, but let's maybe let's just talk about that then. How are you making all of us idiots rich and keeping us from failing? Like, what, what's the situation right now? What's, some, what, what's this project that you're working on right now? Um, maybe give a little background on what your company does. And I mean, obviously, you're, you're IT director, so it's, it's, not just the, you know, it's not just software development, it's, it's the network and it's end users, and it's probably how big's your team?
1: I have, uh, three infrastructure people. Um, I have a telecom guy who does phones and and network stuff and I have two programmers. Okay. And how many,
0: uh, and and how many end users, how many end users entirely?
1: Full time we have about 200 and then we have another two or 300 uh, part-time people.
0: Okay. Gotcha. All right. So a little background, let's just talk about this. Um, this significant development in cutting edge technology that's going to make the world better or at least your business produce better. Um, what was, um, it's, it's really that Unix example, I guess, that we were talking about back
1: that's already gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the company was really, um, stretched. They, they, we're using two different Unix based products, one for accounting and one for what's called a TMS transportation management system. We're a trucking company. So they, they Wait, so let's give both the general, of those. just
0: the general okay. one now first, like you guys are, okay. you're a trucking company, like kind of, kind of just give like a general 50,000 foot overview of what sure.
1: you do. Yeah. Yeah. We're, um, we have regional docs around the country, uh, 10 of them that, uh, Pick up freight in the area around the dock, bring it into the dock, unload it, and then reload the trucks and send them outbound. So we pick up regionally, and then deliver nationally. And drop so ship for it, other,
0: You're drop shipping for other companies, is that correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's all. It's all, none of. It's all shipping for other companies. It's largely food because it's refrigerated and frozen, less than truckload, which there's not a lot of companies that do that so yeah so we in the in in the day before this company came around if you were here and you had had you know we're on the water so you wanted to sell soft crabs to boston you needed to buy a whole truck and send Mm -hmm. it to boston Mm -hmm. the owners uh were farmers who also had trucks and they were going around and using their truck to pick up freight from different people here. One of them was running to Boston and one of them was running to Florida and they met each other and they said, Hey, I can give you some freight going to Florida. I can give you some freight going to, to uh, Boston. And so they started doing that and then it got built up to where now we have about 600 trucks a week on the road doing the same thing on a much larger scale. So we have these docks that have like the one here in Federalsburg, Maryland is 50 doors, 55 doors and, um, we bring in 150, 200 trucks, unload them and reload them and send them out all over the country. So, and then they're not our trucks. So, it's more of a, it's a lot of it is closer to banking than it is to trucking in that during the week, if you go over here now in the main office, there's a bunch of people sitting at a custom system, you know, building loads figuring out how much to pay the drivers, putting money in, giving the drivers advances, talking to the drivers that are on the, their loads about where to go and what their appointments are and helping them and making sure the freight gets delivered on time and that we get paid. Nice. And we do it, like I said, in 10 different areas around the country. And so, so,
0: So what was the problem that we were dealing with back in the day?
1: Well, when they hired me, they they had two Unix-based systems that were 20 years old and they had customized them and no longer could move them to the next version of Unix. So it, the way it worked back then is your software was coded to the operating system so they couldn't move up to the next version of the operating system. The hardware was also built around the operating system so they were stuck on tw- really old hardware. And they had no choice but to go to a new system. And the guy that hired me told me that they had looked at all the options out there and decided that they were going to build custom software. And I took the job. When I came in, I asked them for the requirements document for their system, and they didn't have any. So I really... Don't believe that they've fully looked at packages. But again, being a custom software developer, I didn't really care. I got to work, and we built a system, and it now runs the company. So it has a accounting back end, Microsoft Dynamics and the Vision accounting back end, but the rest of it is all custom. And so, we only have those two systems. We don't have any other kind of stovepipe systems. That's it.
0: So was there a problem that we solved? Was there an efficiency that was gained from? From this, you know, upgrade or needing to upgrade.
1: Basically. Oh my gosh, yes! If you're a software developer and you come to a company that tells you to build them a custom system, and they, they're using something twenty years old that was clued together from two other packages, if you can't, if you can't make magic you really should just find something else to do for a living <laughs> i mean that was the low hanging fruit was ridiculous i mean we well, had let's talk, i want to hear this
0: i want to hear the low hanging fruit because maybe i'm going to start you know huh. maybe we should start like you know uh, I don't know, software co Oh my guy. gosh. Software, this is software a, co-op.
1: I mean, it's, I'm almost embarrassed to say because, you know, I don't know if I should bear our dirty laundry that way. <laughs> okay, but
0: never mind. Well, 15
1: <laughs> years ago. No, I'll go some of it. I mean, it, it's all good because it's all been put behind us. It's history now, but.
0: Well, it just shows I mean, that you guys are on the cutting we, edge. I mean, you guys are not, it's not like you were sitting around. Some people sink the ship. Some people just sink the ship. That's true. That's so, I mean, you guys yeah. sink the ship.
1: I we mean, did not sink the ship. We built a new ship and we're cruising.
0: Yeah, all right. So, um, so what did we do?
1: Well, they had the two systems. So the logistics package, you know, you, you have your orders and you have these manifests, which are on the list of all the orders that go on the truck. Mm-hmm. And as after the thing gets delivered, all of the information is built into the orders and the manifest. Mm-hmm. And you, they did something that we still call a transfer. And you say, this is good bill it and it sends it over so at that time it went from our uh, McLeod TMS to OSAS which is accounting package after that if any changes were made dispatchers would walk over to accounting like if they so that was made when it got when it was done and trant delivered now the customer starts to receive bills and they start saying this is not right this isn't right when if they had to make any changes, they would walk over to accounting with an invoice in hand, marked up, and accounting would make the adjustments in the accounting system <laughs> to give them a credit or a debit, uh-huh. and then type out a corrected invoice. That's what was happening. Pretty ridiculous. Today, today, when a dispatch determines that something is, needs to be fixed on the invoice, they click a button that will credit the order. Credit the invoice completely, make all the changes that they need to, and then rebill it without leaving their desk. So that that was huge. Um, the, the POD process is where proofs of delivery from customer or from the trucks come back into us, and we have to go back over those bills and see if anything was is wrong because that that happens before the customer actually receives the invoice. Mm-hmm. That. Then they would put all these invoices on their desk, go through it all, make up all the notes of what was wrong, put it in a folder with the documents and give it to the dispatcher, dispatch manager that would need to fix it and wait for those documents to come back. Mm Mm-hmm. And then process them again until they thought it was right and then release the truck peg, pay the truck and send the invoices to the customer.
0: And then maybe the customer comes back again and then it's physically walking. So there's multiple deployment issues of, of, yeah, gotcha.
1: And now all of the all of these PODs that come in instead of there being folders running around in accounting and in dispatch that all gets scanned and imaged in, and actually now ninety nah, probably not ninety maybe seventy percent of the the truckers are going to the tr- a truck stop and using a, a a system called Transflow Imaging where they scan the documents and email them into us, mm-hmm. so they are electronic from the very beginning. But either way, they all all end up as PDFs. They have dual screen systems where the invoice comes up on one or the POD comes up on one screen. Mm-hmm. The data from our system is on the other. They match it up. If anything's wrong, they drop up down and say this needs to go to claims for them to work on it. Mm-hmm. They say this needs to go to dispatch and they process it and they move on to the next one. Once. Dispatcher claims does what they need to do, which would be process in claims processor, what's called an OSD, overage, shortage, or damage, and process it. Mm-hmm. And it it automatically brings the document back into their queue for them to rework it. So we went from, I think we had like 22 people in in our truck pay department. We have like four now. Isn't this amazing? And, and and the whole goal wasn't really, in my mind, my goal, you, you, your goal should never be to eliminate people to save money. It should be this process stinks and I'm going to fix it. If that means <laughs> less people, fine. If it means the same people get it done very quickly and sit around on their hands, that's not my issue. To me, that's a backwards goal is to reduce labor. You should look at the processes and fix the processes, and that's what I did. They were pretty agitated with me probably at some points because it took me to write the specifications for what we did probably Uh took me seven or eight months. They uh-huh. I, they might've thought it was only going to take a month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm telling them, Hey, I'm not done talking to all these people. You need to hurry up and do it. Well, this, you know, you can't rush this. And talk to
0: me about that. I don't know. You probably talking, had doubts. You were talking to people. <clears throat> you're you're a software guy. You were talking. Uh, to you, you
1: don't have any choice. You have no choice. Uh, to, so but to talk
0: how'd to that people. go? How are you talking to people? Like, what, what were those conversations like? Just like, Hey, why are you doing this? Or why do you walk over here? Or how do you, you you're like, no,
1: I, I sat with them. No, I sat with them and watched them do their job. And I asked them, why did they do that? Every time they got up and walked away from where are you going? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing that? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and there were lots of documents that they were faxing, like from, you know, load confirmations to drivers for, for dispatchers. Now they hit, they're on the manifest. There's a little drop down box. They hit confirmation. It comes up and they hit send and they fax it or they email it from their desk. They don't have to get up. I mean, every all yeah. the file and cabinets should be eliminated in my mind. All steps people are making and going and using some kind of MFP, you know, uh-huh. a fax or a copier, that needs to be eliminated. Any You need to let people focus on thinking and doing their job and not mechanics. The mechanic stuff is, is low-hanging fruit. That all was eliminated on day one.
0: You say that's easy, but that's, uh, you sound like a very special guy to me. That's not uh, most people. Would, I mean, just that whole idea of going and sitting down. It, this this whole thing, just it's, it's actually pretty mind blowing when you start to think about business and how everything works in America and the fact that everyone makes all this stuff work. Uh, I'm a simpleton. Um, I sell phones and internet. I know a lot about phones. I know a lot about how they work, but this is, this is pretty mind blowing, to be honest with you, to sit down and go through all of that. Um, so, You sat down, you asked them, why are you walking over there? And we were talking the other day about, (laughs) I wanted to ask you if coders could talk to people, what would that conversation look like, just in general?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, uh, in the day, I I did quite a bit of that. I mean, when we built this first system, I did a lot of the coding. So in this case, a coder was. But that's one of the things that sets me apart from some of my counterparts i mean i've got one guy working for me right now that's been working for me for shit 35 years probably um <laughs> he's a he's great he is the best programmer i've ever met in my entire life
0: uh-huh. but
1: but he would not go through all of that that's just he's not a good he's not great with people if he thinks that they're you know when he starts thinking that they're uh, below him in, in mental capacity or don't understand why they don't get what he's talking about, he becomes very frustrated. And I'm not going to say I don't. I just have a way of, okay, I got to get this done. And this is the only way to do it right. Uh-huh. Because otherwise you do something and turn it over. to go, what in the world are you doing here? Why did this isn't what I wanted? That's not how that doesn't make, you know, that doesn't make you feel good when you go or wouldn't make me feel good. I like blowing people away by giving them things that make, their life so much easier and better and to get, you know, here, thank yous instead of uh-huh. looking at you like where, what planet do you people come from? And that's how <laughs> it can be done if it's done in a vacuum. The
0: uh, why, why are there not any more, I mean, why are there not more billionaire coders that, you know, if, if we're, if we're so smart, we can do all of these things. It's, it's like, you know, it just seems like there should be someone that's going to come out of the woodwork here at some point. Maybe that's like, maybe that's the Bitcoin thing or something like that. Well,
1: it's Yeah. But see, that's all different. I mean, the ones you know about that everyone knows about, they build things for everybody. They build, you know, let's go, when you talk software, let's talk SAP, right? This thing is built to handle everything everyone ever does. It's a whole different bug. And then companies, you sit down with anyone that does that has these systems, you know the SAPs, the Oracles of the world, mm-hmm. they'll tell you what they do, and there's going to be things about it that don't work exactly like they would want to. When you get to build them something from the ground up, mm-hmm. you make it work the way you want it to. I don't care about the company next door. No one else is using this stuff. It's mm-hmm. a completely different paradigm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you know, it, to me, the amazing that, that these owners of this company, and I told you they were farmers that had trucks and started all this, mm-hmm. were willing to make this kind of investment, but it was, you know, it, it was, it changed this company entirely.
0: Well, the mindset to begin with was two guys coming together, trying to be more efficient. So
1: exactly, why would
0: they, why would they not do that? It's like, it's like what started the company uh, multiplied to like a 10 X factor. So I don't. To to me, it makes well, no I guess sense. you're
1: right. And then I guess on top of that, they decided to go the package route, and that didn't work for them. They had to modify it, and then in the end, they had to throw it away. So I guess what's the package yeah, route? What's prob- the,
0: explain that. What's the package route?
1: Uh, with they ha- they bought the McLeod Transportation Management System. You know, uh-huh. I don't know how many years ago. Now it would be 35 years ago, and OSAS accounting, and then uh-huh. they had them customized. Those were the old packages that. Wouldn't they couldn't get hardware to run them on anymore, mm. or parts for the hardware they had. Uh-huh. So that kind of failed them. I mean, it did It did last them several years, but it didn't get them where they wanted to be. So they saw that part fail. So I guess that would make it easy for them to comprehend that maybe the route to go would be to build something mm. as well. I'm, mm. I'm trying to follow your line. You say, you know, they their whole idea was to become <clears throat> more efficient help each other get bigger and so it would be logical and then they went to initially went with you know computer packages I mean initially they did everything on paper Mm. and then they went to this package and then eventually they had to get away from that so I'm saying that maybe I maybe it does make a little bit of sense that they would be willing to invest in, in software development but it's a big it's a big thing to take on I mean when you talk about the magnitude of this I mean it took it was probably four years in the making.
0: Well, you had to be trusted that they had they had to say like, look, <laughs> show show us the light, bring us to the light, you know, uh, like you know, fix this problem or whatever. And and you sat down, you sat down with people, watch what they did, and, and really, I mean, that's like it's a big deal. And we were talking last time about how some sometimes upper management kind of makes decisions and and hands them off to IT to implement and it might not be necessarily the right decision. And I don't know if there's a fine line between where does where does IT director or IT leadership or technology leadership kind of put their foot down and say hey man I don't think this is like the best idea. And I run into it pretty much every day. I run into some some IT directors that say hey look the CFO says we can only look at people on the Gartner magic quadrant which is a pay to play model in my in my mind but and you you said the other day well you know time magazine says we need to move to cloud so we're moving to the cloud yeah. Um, yeah so what's that yeah mean? that was that yeah. <laughs> what's your general thoughts on that i mean what you know what's going to as the as we move forward in the future i would say that it definitely needs a seat at the table um but what kind of seat i guess or you know what kind of role should we be taking and any advice for any advice for other guys out there that might be not be in the situation where that you're in where, where people trust you to you know and trust your creative ability or you know your ability to fix a problem that's better for the business
1: for, for my for my for, for a, a a business person and my boss is he's a really he's a great boss super smart guy um, really thinks through things, but for him to come and tell me, we're moving to the cloud, or uh, for our next next voiceover IP provider, it needs to be one of these three people in this little corner, would be akin to me going over there and telling him, we need to open a dock in Cleveland, Ohio. It's, re- it's ridiculous, because you don't know this stuff and it doesn't make any sense and thank goodness i don't have to deal with that because i don't know how well i would be received when i gave my answers back of of these things i mean <laughs> it, it's it's just okay, you though. need to have a bit all all to me mandate for a good superior of any in anything should be giving you a goal based on something they understand So if, you know, if they don't want any downtime, if they want to be able to, in a disaster scenario, be up and running in X number of hours, those are all legitimate things to ask for. Mm -hmm. But when you start making mandates of how to get from here to there, that's where you get into trouble. And I, and I was telling you that I just recently went to a CIO summit, and I ran into several people in, in some of these uh, boardroom discussions about the cloud where mm-hmm. their boss just told them, you know, we, you know I, I read about it, and we need to go to the cloud. Everyone's okay. moving to the cloud. We need to move to the cloud. And that's just a very short-sighted, dangerous thing to do. Hmm. To make a mandate to to change technology for technology's sake, um, even new cool stuff. You know, I'm very interested in in AI, uh-huh. but there needs to be a business case for it. We just go start buying it and hiring people and doing what? What a, what artif- artificial intelligence to to figure out what? You got to have a business case. Everything should be based. Now, you have to remember, man, I'm super logical and I have a certain way my mind works and if uh-huh. you don't like it, you probably are not gonna like me. Uh-huh. But if it it says, Let's get let's make this place better. So how uh-huh. can we do that? And let's not waste time. You know, I could move us to the cloud, move everything to the cloud, cost us a little bit more money, and you have the same crap running in the cloud. Uh-huh. Didn't change the company one bit. Uh-huh. We already have a deal. We have you know, redundancy through our virtualization. We have a mm-hmm. uh, disaster recovery site of our own and replication, and we test it. Okay, now we move to the cloud. We got, we got nothing out of that.
0: Well, your voice is in the cloud. And by the way, you chose Evolve IP, which I highly recommend. Yeah. And Evolve IP has been a great partner yeah. of ours over at CNSG no. for a very long time.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That was a business case, though. That wasn't a mandate to do it, just to do it. I understand. That was what was the business case? I, I was I was throwing out a negative. Okay, so in that in that case, you know, I we had an on-prem um, system, an Avaya system, uh, voice system, and it worked great. Except, did you have a PRI? I really want?
0: What do you have going in there? A PRI? Would you have for the trunks?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right.
0: Multi- was it paid for, and, or were you um, paying a lease? Was it paid for, or were you paying monthly lease? No, it,
1: was, it had been paid for. No, it had been paid for 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 a while.
0: All right. So definitely, the the the, the opex capex model was obviously a big jump going over to Evolve IP. So how did you uh, how did you sell that one?
1: Well, there were two business reasons. One is that people were were forwarding their phones to their cell phones and then getting calls on their cell phones and then couldn't forward them onto other people. And people were finding out people were calling them from their cell phones and they are calling them back on their cell phones during the day instead mm-hmm. of calling into the work phone. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to give them some, something like an app on their phones that they would be able to still conduct. But just to calls. play
0: devil's advocate, I'm just playing devil's advocate here because, and, and just so you know, obviously I am a big promote proponent of of Cloud PBX, voice over IP, business voice over IP. So, but I'm just gonna play devil's advocate here. Uh, so what? that is that worth the big I mean so is that well, worth hold on. the there money? Was one
1: more there was there was one okay. more reason that I <laughs> okay. that I pushed for hard and I'll say right. and it still isn't done but because we just went to evolve IP here recently but that's yep. the I'm waiting for them to get back to me now and that was to be able to do use click the dial in our system these guys are on the phone constantly okay. calling shippers calling delivery locations and pickup locations and setting appointments yep. and they're looking at numbers on their on their on their screen, and they're dialing their phones Boom. and that's just crazy. It's a big waste of time it's error prone I love that you know you said and that. And, and so that that was more the bigger one and then I think really, as I got looking into it, I found out oh it also you can have these apps and your cell phone rings just like your desk phone. You actually can have a phone call going, then pick it up to call on your cell phone, hang your desk mm-hmm. phone on, on up and walk out. Yeah. And I see oh, kind of like
0: a twinning, a twinning switcher yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I gotcha.
1: And, I love that and, you say that.
0: I believe it if you okay. say it, because you're, a, you're kind of like a, you know, we're not going to the cloud just because, you know, Time Magazine said we're going to the cloud. Like you went to the cloud and you really do see a return on investment there. Or like you said, error prone.
1: Absolutely. Well, kind of we we really, was, it was, it was yeah. a win to win for us because once I started looking, you know, well, first, first off, it wasn't a win because I trusted our, our Avaya rep and our, our, I'll call them partner, if you will. And after several $30,000, $20,000, $40,000 upgrades and projects, we still weren't there. And then a hundred thousand upgrades. Oh, I, 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 I offline, man, I I will get you the details of it if you would like, but I kept going through these projects in the end (laughs) and in the end, in the, in the end, we didn't get there. We still couldn't do what I wanted to do. And the way that I work is you, if you screw me over, you're either going to make it right. And which I asked for all the money back. And they said, no, of course. And then, okay, you're not going to get any more money from me.
0: I'm going to be perfect
1: Uh, perfectly honest that we left them because they needed to be left and that's the same thing that happened (laughs) with our previous voice over ip vendor you don't treat me right i'm not going to just stay with you because oh i'm stuck that's not i'm going to do all i can but what we really made out like a bandit with the when we left Avaya, because once we went to a hosted VoIP provider, they their pool of minutes is so much bigger than ours that our, our long distance came down so much that it oh, was uh, basically a, a, free. Anyone a paying, basic
0: free. Anyone paying long distance, it's just such a joke. At The fact that I run into it now, it's like I know there's a ton of people out there still doing it because I know it exists, because I know that there's like, you know, 14,000 businesses in America that are still on a, you know, whatever the statistics were in 2018, that are still on a prem-based PBX. So I know people are still doing it, but it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I ran into someone where, like the other day, it was just POTS lines. It was just hotels and POTS lines. And mm-hmm. uh, like, we, we were like, okay, uh, how's uh, $20,000 in savings a year sound? <laughs> it was just you know it was like so stupid right. it's like stupid stuff. I know people are doing it, um, but here's a here's a and we're totally off on a tangent. But this is because I really love this stuff. I, I saw a and I try. I'm wanna I'm I'm still debating on whether is it okay to if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And quite frankly, I I don't know if I care. But the Avaya slash Mytel possibly coming together merger and. Obviously, Mitel bought Shortel, and then Rackspace, like their conglomerate somehow acquired Mitel, and now we're looking at a a Avaya slash Mitel kind of like merger type of thing. But is that just... In in my opinion, that's just the inevitable. Like, how long can we how can we keep blocking the holes that are like blown the the ship the phone system equipment ship and we're just trying to stop water from coming in and stay afloat that much longer. That's how I see that. I don't. I'm just curious how you what what you think of that from an IT vendor's perspective that went from a prem based PBX to the cloud.
1: I'm not real sure what you were asking me there, but Okay. Um,
0: well be- here's here's the here's the scenario. You paid twenty thousand dollars in upgrades, then you paid another bunch of upgrades and it's all Capex. Yeah. It's all a Capex thing. It's all for this yep. Prem based, server based system and you didn't your in your you said we didn't get there. Right. And you said we did I'm not, not. We right? did, not I'm get, not my two goals
1: did not. Get met.
0: Right, right. And I'm not gonna be stuck. So now you've got two major equipment vendors coming together um, to basically save, you know, they're both were like kind of like at a bankruptcy stage or even going through bankruptcy, um, kind of just coming together. And I just see it as the old equipment prem-based PBX vendors trying to just, you know, like slip off the oxygen tank before they die. Um, yeah. Uh, but
1: well, in the case of Avaya, they deserve to die because they just weren't keeping <laughs> up with with the rest of them. They weren't. I mean, I mean it if was they crazy. They can somehow yeah. come up
0: with a cloud. If they can somehow come up with like a, a real cloud, you know, offering. But I think there's just so much. There's so much equipment sitting out there. There's there's. It's just like one of those things. It's just like a sinking ship. I guess Nortel got the quick death. But, um, it has been
1: well um, unless unless they cut the heck out of their staff and just c- collect their you know annual revenue until these people all move, because I bet you those Avaya systems are in tons and tons of places still
0: uh yeah, there are like, I mean I could, people are going to like people get all up in arms when I bring this up, I mean, definitely I've got people that are like just die hard avaya people like die hard and right. uh, i've got um you know, I'm like, okay, if you want to keep it and like, let's, let's keep the PBX there until it kicks, you know, because all you guys need to do is make phone calls and extension dial. Like, okay, like let's, you know, put a new PRI in or, you know, convert to SIP trunking. That makes sense. And so you can avoid long distance. Okay, fine. But, um, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with you and for anyone, you know, this show pretty much is listened to by IT directors in the mid market space. Um, so any, any piece of advice, any final words for anyone out there listening?
1: No, other than just keep your eye on the ball. To me, it's all about making, you know, your company run better. And as long as you focus on that, you're going to do fine.
0: Excellent. John, been a pleasure, man. Have a wonderful afternoon.
1: You too. Thank you.